The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome, I'm your host, Dr. Phillips, and on this show, we'll be addressing many important life issues from a psychological perspective. To do this, I want to include you in the conversation. This is Psych Up Live. I welcome you to listen in today and call in with questions or comments at 1-866-472-5788. This is both a complicated and empowering time for young people. And that equates to it being a complicated time for their parents. What happens when you know, come to know, or don't want to know that your child is gay? How do you respond to your child? What, how do you deal with your feelings, your fears? Where do you turn? How do you hold on to the most important thing a child needs, to be loved and accepted by parents? Our guests today will answer these questions. They're Wesley Davidson and Dr. Topkiss, who are the authors of a valuable, newly released book, When Your Child is Gay, What You Need to Know. Wesley Davidson is an award-winning freelance writer and journalist specializing in parenting in a gay and lesbian context. For the past two years, Wesley has concentrated almost exclusively on advising straight parents how to better parent and how to raise happy, well-adjusted gay adults. Dr. Topkis is a practicing psychiatrist in Manhattan. His patients include many gay, lesbian people, as well as straight parents of lesbians and gays. Dr. Topkis currently teaches at NYU Presbyterian Well Cornell Medical Center in Manhattan. Now, our co-authors are joined by one of the parents that was actually interviewed for this book, Dr. Shawnee. You may know her under that name. She's not only the mother of James, she's the founder of Project Forgive, for which she received the honor of a Nobel Peace Prize nomination for her work on global forgiveness, and she's a six-time Emmy winner in many media endeavors. Wesley Davidson, Dr. Topkis, and Dr. Shawnee, it's my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, Wesley, I love the dedication to the book. You write, To Our Son Whose Story Became Ours. Can you share a glimpse of that story with our listeners and how it prompted you to write the book? Yes. I discovered our son was gay in the mid-1990s when I found a note in his room. It was a piece of notebook paper with a heart on it that had his initials inscribed with another uh, guy's. And at that point, I thought he might be gay. But on the other hand, uh, he told me he had a girlfriend that he was going to marry. And each day after school, it seemed I would drive him across town to see this classmate he was so enamored with. So, uh, you know, I was conflicted Mm. and probably chose to be in denial about it. Um, And to get myself some help about this conflict, I went to the bookstore and looked for books on um, helping gay children. And all I could find were general parenting books Mm. 
with, you know, a few pages on homosexuality as it was listed in the index, not even term gay at that point. And I got this bright idea of writing a book, but I did have to wait till my son came to self-acceptance and actually, um, you know, admitted he was gay uh, before I could write the book. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, do you think he's happy you wrote the book? I think he is. Um, he's a fairly private person, so I do the publicity for the book, but... I think, you know, he's proud of me for doing it, and um, he lives in California, which is very gay, accepting in Hollywood, and, you know, he's out, so. Yeah. Well, I will say that your story prompted the book, but one of the, to me, a very powerful aspect of your book are the stories that are shared in the words of parents and children across the country. They are poignant, and they really cover a whole span. Did people volunteer to do this, Wesley? Did you, did you advertise for people to share their story? How did you gather these very vivid and important stories? Well, I would comb the Internet, Dr. Phillips, and look for people whose stories were on the Internet. Uh-huh. I also, each Sunday, looked in the New York Times for announcement of same-sex marriages, mm-hmm. which also lists the parents and where they live. And through Google, I could find them, and I would write them a self-addressed you know, um, uh, postcard within a letter soliciting an interview. And most of the time, uh, people would comply. Uh, or I wouldn't hear from them. But I got enough interviews that way, and I also got referrals from people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, because I needed stories throughout the country, different backgrounds. Um, You know, I needed a variety. Well, it's just um, one of the things you say in the book is that the parents and the children are on similar journeys with the children a few steps ahead. And and uh, that's really what you do see. I wonder if you could speak to that for a minute. Yes, I think the children have lived their lives as a gay or lesbian and or bisexual or transgender even, and they know themselves better. And it may be that they um, have waited to come out to their parents they may have uh, practiced their coming out on their best friend or someone else. So I think the parents can learn from the kids because um, obviously the, the parents aren't in a um, uh, same-sex uh, marriage in most cases. You know, they're living as heterosexual, so I think they can really learn from their children. Mm, Okay. Now, Dr. Topkis, at the end of every chapter, you offer really valuable research, um, comments that dispel myths, important advice. One of the things that the roles you play is really giving parents, going from the stories to giving parents something very concrete. And I wondered if you could give our listeners a sense of the patterns that you saw across these many parents that seem to emerge in terms of parents' reactions? Yeah, I mean, I think the parents' reactions certainly um, span a gamut, but I think the overall theme is is worry and concern, Um, and Mm -hmm. I think that the steps that we describe that many parents go through, um, you know, denial, shame, guilt, and so on, um, I think many parents do sort of grapple with those various phases. Um, Not every parent goes through every single phase, and I think some parents get stuck in one phase that could take years before they actually successfully work through that phase. Um, But I think the common themes that I I see generally are parents are worried when they get this news. Um, You know, they're worried on multiple different levels. Um, You know, I think on the most basic level, they're worried just for the safety and well-being of their child. You know, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of... um, uh, stereotypes and, and in some ways myths and some truths about just you know health concerns and you know, lifestyle concerns 
and you know things of that nature um, that parents are concerned about. And I think just even on the most basic level, um, you know, I think many parents wish for their child to have a life that's you know as easy as possible, that's free of stress and conflict and things that are going to make things more difficult for them. So. You know, for me, what I see a lot of times is, is, you know, parents saying, I just wish you'd have an easier life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and by that, it, it doesn't even necessarily mean um, that they're having a homophobic sentiment. Um, it really just means, and I, I think this is true, that, you know, not many people would argue that the process of being gay and coming out and, and then even living a gay lifestyle uh, can present challenges, um, you know, on an ongoing basis, uh, e- even, when, even when you're out. And, and, you know, not everyone is going to be accepting or understanding. And, you know, people may uh, look at you funny or, or, you know, ask funny questions, or you may be subjected to certain types of discrimination when you're applying for a job or, or even just walking through the park. Um, so I think parents, you know, even parents with the best intentions who, who don't actually, um, you know, parents who would, let's say, be accepting of gay marriage and be, you know, very liberal, egalitarian folks may still, when it's their own child, um, feel distressed by the news. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's the most common thing that I see is, is just parents exhibiting distress. Mm. Well, as parents, we're sort of wired to protect our children. And so just as you say, the first thought is, oh, my goodness, what will someone Will someone kill my child? Will they bully my child? Will they have a very hard life? So I do think um, it's sort of a knee-jerk reaction. But what happens and what is portrayed, and I've seen it in some of the young people that I've worked with, is that what we miss sometimes as the parent is the anguish. If there's anyone these young people want to believe in them and know they didn't choose this. They themselves are frightened. They themselves don't know exactly how it's going to unfold. They want their parent on their side. So it's quite quite a difficult journey. Mm-hmm. But one of the messages that you that you send across is give it time but keep don't forget the importance of that acceptance. Right. And I think that's really a key message um, is that you know, children, what they really want is, 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 you know, the unconditional love and acceptance of their parents. Um, and that, it can be an evolution to get from the initial coming out to that final point. And our book goes through sort of each of the stages and then the processes that the, the average parent goes through. Like I said before, not every parent will go through every step, but, but the ultimate goal really is acceptance. And even acceptance, um, you know, as, as we discuss um, in, in that chapter, can have various manifestations and different degrees of acceptance, right? Um, and I think some parents are un- under the idea that they need to sort of reach some ultimate point where they're marching in a gay pride parade or, um, you know, joining um, PFLAG or um, involved in legislation, you know, pr- promoting uh, gay rights. And I, I don't think that's, you know, I don't, I don't think most children would necessarily need or even, you know, even necessarily want that. Uh, as an ultimate point, but 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 what they do want is is is, is the acceptance of their lifestyle by their parent, um, and they want to be treated the same as their heterosexual siblings or you know other family members. They don't want you know to be treated differently because of their sexuality, um, and mm. I think that's really the goal. That you know you know when I work with gay you know adolescents or even young adults uh, that's really what they want and that's what they want the, the message they want to convey to their parents is, is just they want to be looked at in the same way that a parent would look at their sibling or you know a cousin in the family who, who, who is not gay mm-hmm. you know one of the things that came out in the stories that I had seen is very often the sibling is someone who knows or is told and they are often extremely accepting of their brother or sister uh, in one case, um, uh, the, the the brother said, you know, our relationship has nothing to do with gender, has nothing to do with sexual preference. You're my brother, that's it. But the negotiation with the parents was, was much more difficult. So what could a parent do when they first hear about it? Or even like Wesley says, she she came to suspect it, but you don't quite know what to do. What would you advise a parent to do at the very early stage when they're saying this can't be true? It, I, I got to talk him or her out of it. It's just a stage. What would you suggest? 
I, mean, I think it depends on what point a parent's coming to me. If they're coming to me very early on, I would strongly encourage them to, you know, to not say that and to not think that. Um, I mean, in, in general, you know, nowadays sexuality can be fluid, and I, I've, I've worked with, you know, I've worked with adolescents who have come out and then sort of, quote-unquote, changed their mind. I don't think it's that simple that they actually change their mind. I think that they're just, you know, exploring and discovering who they are, and maybe they dated a boy, and then they decide they want to date a girl, and I think it, it, it's a process. But I think if you're at the point where you're telling your parents, um, uh, making a declaration to them uh, regarding your sexuality, I think a parent should take it seriously um, and, and not try to talk them out of it or not try to you know, sort of ask them questions, are you sure it's not a phase? And I think it's important that a child be heard and respected and that if they're coming to you about this, you should be really honored um, that they're wanting to be close with you in that way and, and have this conversation. And I think what they really need is, is, just, is, is your support. So I think the best way to do that, you know, is, is, is first to thank them for, you know, for coming to you and tell them how much you appreciate that they trust you and, you know, value your relationship to the degree that they want to hear your thoughts about this and they want to talk to you about it. And then, you know, after that, I would, I would ask questions, you know, to them that are not judgmental questions, not questions that are trying to lead them to a certain outcome or trying to convince them of something, but just trying to understand understand them better, um, understand mm-hmm. when they, you know, when they first had these thoughts, you know, how those thoughts are making them feel, you know, have they had any experiences yet? Um, you know, what are their worries? What are their concerns? But they may have worries and concerns too. So, but, you know, rather than, you know, as a parent, it's, you know, it, it's, it's difficult, but I think one of the things that a, a successful parent does is, is put their needs of their, of their children ahead of theirs. And I think in that moment, your, your child has needs and if, if you could put your own worries and concerns aside, just briefly, in, in that initial moment, I think it really goes a long way to have your child know that you really care about them and you want to know how they're feeling and you want to understand what they're thinking and, and, and not feel like you need to burden them with your own anxieties and, and the things that are causing you worry and concern. Mm, mm, I hear you. Um, Wesley, we're just about out of time, but I just want to quickly ask, do you find that parents talking to other parents or working with you or going on these sites helps this process that um, Jonathan's talking about? Yes, I do. I think uh, parents feel less lonely. I think um, when, you know, your child comes out or you realize he's gay, you feel like you're the only person in the world who's going through this and you're not. So if you can talk to other parents and particularly if they have more experience than you do, um, I think it ha- that's where I think uh, PFLAG helps as well because you can get questions and answers from parents who um, specifically have LGBT children and you get answers. So it's a support system that I think is very valuable. Okay, just before we take the break, so it's um, PFLAG, and it stands for, just so our listeners hear it. Parents of lesbian and gays, but now they also are embracing uh, parents of transgender children. Okay, Okay, very good. We're going to take a brief break. You've been listening to Psych Up um, on Voice America. We've been speaking with Wesley Davidson and Dr. Topkiss, their new book, When Your Child is Gay, What You Need to Know. We'll be coming back to speak to one of the parents interviewed for the book, Dr. Shawnee. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're discussing a very new and a very valuable book, when your child is gay, what you need to know. Now, the chapters of this book are beautifully laid out in terms of the passage from many feelings, from denial to discovery, from guilt to innocence, from shame to pride. And we're going to talk now about from guilt to innocence. And one of the parents interviewed for the book, Dr. Shawnee, um, is the parent who described this movement from guilt to innocence. Dr. Shawnee, you you tell your story in this section, and I wondered if you would share it with our listeners and the process you went through. Yeah. You know what I'm deeply relating to, what Dr. Topka said, was how important it is when you have a gay child that you... Put it, focus on the child and work through your own stuff because the child has so much going on. And that, for me, was the heart of the guilt because um, a lot of times in family systems, particularly my own, I inverted getting my needs met. So instead of my son who came out when he was 14, he had to deal with my feelings when mm. this was going on, let alone all the other um, enormity of feelings he was feeling. So the guilt for me was how do I process this so quickly and as efficiently as I can and feel these feelings so my son doesn't feel the enormity of my discomfort so mm. it wouldn't be inverted. So everything that they name in the book was just fantastic. The guilt finding out the, the things that they list in the book, which I love, by the way, because it's so authentic. You know, um, one of the things that was talked about was not allowing, you know, like letting your son, my, it's my son who's now 28 years old, and I found out when he was 14, I let him play with dolls. He wore dresses. And when I was young, a young parent, I just thought I, that it was, I was allowing this ambiguity to, ambiguity to be there and allowing him to express himself in so many different ways and not to put these gender stereotypes on my son. And, um, and then feeling the guilt of that. Maybe if I wouldn't have let him wear dresses, this wouldn't have happened. Um, also divorce. I came, you know, I divorced my ex-husband. Alcoholism was very prominent in my family. And then wonder if I rejected that heterosexual relationship, and that's why my son became gay. Probably the biggest thing, the most authentic, was I never knew about my own internal stereotypes about gay people. And I have, and I've always had gay friends, and I had to do a deep inquiry because I saw, when I first found out, I, my son is like my pride and joy, straight-A student, achiever, sports, this exquisite, lovely, charismatic guy. And to find out he was gay, I felt like he was flawed. Mm. 
Mm. And who can I verbalize that to? I mean, I certainly can't verbalize that to my son. Son, My son is very sensitive and very empathic. He's like an indie child where he can (laughs) feel everything. And that was where the guilt came from for me because I knew he could feel all this ambivalence and all this turmoil that I was going through. And now, today, here it is, what, 14 years later, and what I love about the book, can I just share with you what I love about the book? Sure, yes. Mm -hmm. Is I can deeply relate. Everything in this book to me was spot on, from anger to calm, loss to gain, to actually, and it, it brings me to tears, to celebrate who my son is. And, I'm, and there's so many transitions. And if you're listening and you have a gay child, like, you know, accepting, okay, he's gay, and then, then, then seeing him hold a boy's hand, that's a whole nother realm of possibility mm. and more emotions. And then to see him kiss a boy, oh my goodness. And now here today, my son's married, and, um, I, and he lives in West Hollywood as well, uh, as uh, Wesley was talking about for her son, and he's very out. And I remember one morning getting up with his husband, and they were both laying on the couch. They were asleep together, wrapped in each other's arms, and the love, and um, it moves me to talk about it, the love mm. and joy that my son is so happy, and he's in a beautiful relationship um, that is the ultimate goal of this book, and what I lo- what it, what's so imperative about the book is you don't you don't feel alone, as Wesley alluded to. I don't feel alone. This is so validating, and it's so authentic. And I, you don't have to do this process alone. And it did take me several years. Mm. Well, well, it seems like I'm just loving the way you shared your your experience of even thinking about your son and his spouse. One of the other powerful things you shared, and I think religion sometimes becomes a very confusing issue in this acceptance of a gay child, and I wondered if you could share that, because you mentioned you were a Christian Baptist, and you had to rethink your whole belief system. Yeah, and you know, I was raised um, Christian Baptist, and I evolved over time, taking lots of college courses, university mm. courses around um, history of religion, and I've, my personal beliefs have evolved. I'm very accepting of all religions, and I really my religion pretty much is kindness. Where it got complicated is with my mother. Mm. My mother is um, a very fundamental Baptist, and to this day, you know, I'm in my 50s, my mother is in her 70s, she continues to pray for my son. Mm. And um, and what's so beautiful about that is that my own personal evolvement is that I can be with my mother and even be with her when she prays for my son because I can keep going back to her commitment and her belief system and to her this is the most beautiful thing she can do. Yeah. Do I agree with it? Of course not. You know, it's all, it's all good, and she knows I don't agree with her, and she loves it because it fosters intimacy between her and I on this topic, alleviating any discomfort for my son. I take on that relationship with my mother. That's not about my son. Mm-hmm. And my goal in this guilt to innocence is to relieve my son of guilt. When I leave, relieve myself of guilt, I actually give my son more space in his life, and my mm. son is so happy. Mm. Well, you're really showing acceptance of your mom's authenticity and James's authenticity. So, I mean, it's a, it's a very good place to love someone and to show someone love. The other thing well, that I... You already mentioned that we're Project Forgive, like so lots yes. of research and lots of stuff on forgiveness. So even the process that's spelled out in the book, like of going through denial and guilt and fear and anger and loss and acceptance, those are primary steps in the conversation of forgiveness as well. So I've actively worked on those myself because my, and that's the big thing that's talked about in the book is this guilt. And guilt can be a good thing if it puts you in action. And uh, when my son declared he was gay, which when he was 14, he was in Paris at the time going to school. And um, it got me, my guilt got me in action and Mm -hmm. had me do a rediscovery of my own self. Mm. You know, one of the things, Dr. Shoney, that you mentioned, and it probably fits with your other forgiveness work, is that you invite parents to be compassionate with themselves. It's sort of a shock. You suggest they give themselves time. Yeah, I, lo- I think we all agree it's hard to confide in your own child with your troubled feelings. You're better taking them somewhere else. But I do think, and I even think some of the young people, uh, Wesley and Dr. Topkis, I think some of your young interviewees 
even said, you got to give your parents some time because you've been living with it and it's new to them. And I, that's something you echo too, Dr. Shawnee. So I, I think your, your contribution is just beautiful today. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, Dr. Topkis and, and Wesley and I, actually even Dr. Shawnee, I wonder, do you think there's a difference? So many of the uh, interviewed parents were the moms. Um, it seemed to me the moms had the more trouble, more trouble, but moms also were more willing to share. Is there a gender difference in the parental response to finding out and to coming to acceptance of your gay child or your transgender child or any, any of these children? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, in my experience, again, based on my own practice and working with people you know, directly, is that I found that the the opposite sex parent uh, it tends to, you know, to, to accept it easier and, and is more able to internalize the reality than the same sex parent. So, you know, if it's a, you know, a boy, an adolescent boy coming out as being gay, a lot of times the father has a harder time with it than the mother does. You know, maybe they both have a hard time initially, but that the mother's sort of able to embrace the concept or appreciate the reality uh, a bit faster than the husband maybe would be. Um, mm-hmm. And I've seen it the other way as well. You know, I've, I've worked with some uh, gay women um, who, you know, I worked with them when they were, you know, let's say an adolescence coming out. Um, and in those situations, you know, it, it was harder for the mothers. Um, and the fathers mm-hmm. were actually, uh, you know, sort of easier to accept it. And, and I think it, it, it may have something to do with just, um, and again, sort of the, the idea that, you know, parents have a hard time at times realizing that their children are not extensions of themselves, that their child is, is right. a separate person and you know, obviously, you know, as a parent, you spend a lot of time and energy in the raising of your parent, and, and you take pride in their accomplishments, and, and the, the same way if something is not going well, maybe you'll feel um, upset or, you know, feel bad about it. Um, so I think a lot of times, you know, it, it, having a gay child may, for example, for a man, you know, may call his masculinity into question. It may make him feel like something's wrong with him, or he wasn't, that if he had been a certain kind of father, maybe the, his son wouldn't have been gay. Right, um, and you know, for a woman, she also may, if, if she has a daughter who's, who's gay, she may also feel maybe if she had done some more sort of stereotypical, um, you know, female um, experiences with her playing dolls, you know, shopping for mm. prom dresses, things that you know, and, and obviously the data shows that you know, there's not really truth to this. That you know, there's you know, there, there, there's no consistent parenting style that will lead to a gay or straight child. And at this point, most people. I believe that it's it's a genetic thing that that's not something that can be influenced by a parent style um, or you know a, a type of you know the, you know, the, the quality of, of the person that the parent is does not lead to some outcome like this that is something that's predetermined. But nevertheless, I think people have a hard time. You know, you, you know rationally you may know that, but emotionally it, it may hit you in a different way that may mm-hmm. actually even be surprising to, to you know to the parent. Mm. You know, one of the things I've seen, in one case, a young man came out to his dad in my office. The parents were divorced, but um, because he did not think his mom could hear it for religious reasons, and the dad was pretty terrific. But he was terrific then in the sense of helping this young man because not only did the young man say to him, I have to tell you something, and when he did, he said, "I, I knew this, I love you. This is fine. And he said, but I don't think I could ever tell mom. And even though they were divorced, the, the father said, oh, you know what? Just give your mom a chance. And when you tell her, don't expect her to get it right away. And I thought that that was very good advice. Now, I know that doesn't always happen. And I did wonder, um, Wesley, did you and your husband, were you coming from the same place in terms of your reaction did you help each other? Were you at odds with it? Uh, we were not at odds, but I would say that m- because of my husband's background, he was brought up in the South and he grew up fishing and hunting, which were not my son's interests. I mean, my son's interests were more like mine, interests in the theater, interests in mm-hmm. art. Uh, my son played sports, but they were non-contact sports like tennis, uh, a little soccer, um, so it was more um, 
my son realizing that he would not be able to bond with uh, his father through similar interests. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. that being said, they found things in common they had. For example, they both liked to travel, so they went to Germany together without me. I stayed home with James's youngest, younger sister, who was five mm-hmm. years younger, Mm-hmm. Uh, and they both like good food, so they would try different restaurants, and, and that's, those were the things they found in common. But mm-hmm. um, I would not say my husband had a problem with it. I would say that some of his southern relatives who are, you know, some of them are born-again Christians would. Mm-hmm. Well, it, and it's interesting, I think, in one part of the book, that is how a parent... Uh, some of the young people have asked the parents, who in the family should I tell or can you tell them for me? I think one of the points you make um, is that let that be the young person's decision. It's never that easy if the whole family knows and the the child's not the one who revealed it. Um, Which brings me to one other piece here before we take a break, which is um, Dr. Topkis when we can pick it up after the break, what do we say and how do you help parents with the fear? I mean, the fear of HIV, the fear of their child being bullied. When they say to you, how can I accept something that's going to possibly put my child in a dangerous situation? How do you help them with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Matt, I think I, I approach that the same way I approach anyone in my practice coming who, who's afraid of something. Um, you know, anxiety is something I specialize in, and I think that fear, you know, in general, is something that can be, it can come from a place of exaggeration or distortion, or it can come from a place that's, you know, legitimate and real. In either case, the first step is always to sort of, you know, assess the likelihood that the person's fear is real, and that, and that is a high probability of it becoming a reality. And, then, and the second, you know, if the fear is, in fact, you know, shown to be probable, then we want to work on finding ways in which the feared outcome can be mitigated or you know, that the probability can be minimized or, or how we're going to respond if that happens. So that's a model that I use for people who are struggling with, with fear of any sort, and I would use it in the same way for somebody who's um, struggling with having a gay child. So, you know, the, the HIV concern is, is, is probably one of the most common. You know, HIV or just disease in, in general, hepatitis. Um, and, you know, that's something that, you know, I, I talk about with them and you know, to discuss, you know, ways to address that with their child. Because a lot of times the fear of the parents is that their child is going to make bad decisions and isn't mm-hmm. going to know what the right thing to do is. So it, it's really less a, a conversation, of, of, you know, about disease and statistics and more a conversation about communication. Mm-hmm. How they communicate safe sex, how they communicate um, a use of drugs, etc. Um, exactly, and, because I think, mm-hmm. I mean... Children, you know, develop a sense of self-preservation when they feel that their life is meaningful and they feel that they're, you know, being loved and cared for by others, most of all by parents. You know, so in my experience, you know, the teenagers or the adolescents who choose not to protect themselves, it's not necessarily the ones who don't know about the benefits of condoms or know about safe sex, but it's instead, it's those who don't feel the loving and protective instincts of their parents. Those are the ones who, who tend to make the choices to not take care of themselves and end up in situations where they may make themselves vulnerable to disease. I, you know, we're going to have to stop at your point about a child who feels desperate with no one behind them is more careless with themselves than someone who feels like there are people who love me and they're going to help me and support me. We're going to take a break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live on Voice America. We're talking about a very new and important book, When Your Child is Gay, What You Need to Know. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. 
Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're here with the authors of the new book, When Your Child is Gay, What You Need to Know, Wesley Davidson and Dr. Topkiss. And we're talking about, we've been talking about the challenges, self-discovery, hope, and even celebration that parents come to as they move through the process with a child who is gay. Now, before we proceed, um, I know our listeners are going to want to know from each of you, um, what are some websites they could access? How would we get this book? And how would they connect with you? Wesley, did you want to start? Yes, I'd be happy to. Um, The book is being released on June 7th by Sterling. It can be ordered right now from barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. I have a website called whenyourchildisgay.com, and if you go there, you will not only find my blog, which is straightparentgaykid.com, but also you can order the book through that site. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um Dr. Topkis, how could listeners connect with you? Sure. Um, yeah, I have a, a clinical practice in Manhattan in New York City, and I have a, a personal website that's really just for that practice, uh, you know, which is www.jonathantopkissmd.com. Uh, it's really just about my practice. Um, uh, that's what I spend most of my time doing right now um, is you know, seeing patients for therapy and medication uh, in, in my private practice. Okay, and Dr. Shawnee, how would they access your Project Forgive? Yeah, I would send them to projectforgive.com or come hang out with us on Facebook. We literally are reaching millions now, and we do some beautiful live broadcasts. And we have lots of resources like meditations like forgiving yourself for not being forgiving. And this is something that I've applied having a gay child, and we have just great free resources. So come out, come see us on Facebook. Terrific. Okay, now one of the, let's talk about this process of acceptance to celebration. Some of, one of the most powerful things I think I read in the book was that children are more traumatized by their parents' reactions than by being gay. And I think, Dr. Tapas, you write, no child stops being gay because the parents won't accept it. What we say is that they maybe stop being happy. So how do we... As parents, how do we move through this process of acceptance? What, what if I'm having a hard time? What if I've even been so angry that now I feel bad, that I feel terrible, that I was terrible at the beginning? Is there room for me to go back? I mean, should I apologize? 
Dr. Tapas, how would, how would I handle that? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's ever too late to really get your lines right and say the right thing to your child and to change the feelings behind those, you know, behind those words. You know, I, I really do. I think it's, it's very common for parents to, you know, to, to have an initial response that's uh, not ideal. And as you said earlier in the conversation, a child's had, you know, his whole life or, you know, a significant you know, part of his life often to, to sort of evolve through the process of self-understanding and get to the point where they themselves are even comfortable with being gay and talking about it. And it's not really fair to expect the child to sort of suddenly be right where you are in that same you know, point, in, point in your trajectory. So you have to give your parents time to sort of understand and accept that maybe their first reaction is going is to come from a place of, of panic or, or, or even just mild anxiety and that they're not going to say the right thing. But as a parent, you know, I think once you seek some help, um, and that could be, you know, help with just a friend or help with your spouse, or it could be more formal professional help with a therapist um, or even a support group of some sort. Um, um, once you get the help and, and, and you sort of put things in, into the appropriate perspective, I think that's when you want to go back to your child and start the process of re-engaging and, you know, doing it the way that you wished you'd done it the first time. Um, use the right words, um, express the unconditional loving statements um, and, and, you know, really do it a, a way that will make your child feel accepted. Hmm. It sounds, it sounds so valuable. Wesley, I wonder, one of the chapters you wrote about was going from loss to gain. I, I mean, did you feel like you faced loss that you actually integrated and dealt with? Well, I think because it was the mid-1990s when I, you know, found this piece of paper, um, I did feel lost because civil rights for gays had not snowballed the way it has in the last two years. So I did look at it that, you know, my son will never have, you know, my grandchildren or he will never get married. And I looked at it also as a loss because I couldn't talk to anybody except for, you know, private therapist or PFLAG members because I didn't know anybody who had a gay child in our community. So I did feel like it was a loss. Um, nowadays, you wouldn't have that concern that your son or daughter may not get married or that they may not be able to have children. So I don't think it's as much of a loss it, of a dream that you have for your child. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. I, wanted, I, I wondered if each of you, given the journeys you've taken, you with so many patients, um, Dr. Topkis, Wesley, you both with your own son and the many people who contact you, and certainly you, Dr. Shawnee, what take-home message would you give our um, listeners. Maybe you can start, um, Dr. Topkis. And I think for me, the most important thing is, is really communication and, and just unconditional love. You know, you know, parents, you know, do have unconditional love for their children, or at least they should aim for that. And I think you know, the best way, if you're, if you're facing a conflict or something that's causing you distress, the best way to work through that is to have a, an, an open, you know, communication where you're just listening and trying to understand your child's perspective better without being judgmental. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, the most important thing is, is really that non-judgmental, unconditional communication and love. And if, if you come from a place you know, where you're using that as, as a starting point, I think it's, it's hard to go wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay. How about you, Wesley? Um, I think you have to remember what I call the three L's and this tags on to Dr. Topkiss's comments. I think you have to love your uh, child unconditionally and show that. I think you have to keep the door open so you always listen to their concerns. And also, uh, I think you learn from your children because they know what it's like day to day to be gay or lesbian or or uh, bisexual or transgender. So the three L's are love, listen, and learn. Wonderful, wonderful. And how about you, Dr. Shawnee? You know, I would just reiterate... 
to separate your identities because so many times our child is an extension of our own identity. Mm-hmm. And when you can separate that powerfully and manage your own emotions and set some really, really good boundaries, even at the, out of the gate when you first find out, don't be sharing your emotions with your son about your upset, your anger, the, all the things that you're going through. Find a buddy to share that with, a peer, a girlfriend, a, a buddy, your husband, your spouse, a partner. And um, so you don't put that pressure on your child until you work out your own managing your own emotions and practice that forgiveness, forgiving yourself for not being too forgiving around it because it certainly is a journey. Mm. You know, one of, one of the things that comes across in everything you've all said and in the book is regardless of what part of the country, regardless of how old the child was, there was so much so much expressed wish to be accepted or loved. And I think someone, maybe one of the interviewees said, at some point, one of the young people said, your child's going to keep trying, and then if they never, ever find the acceptance, they're going to move on. And you did describe stories where people had to move on. Their hearts were broken, but they moved on and found people who did love and accept them. But that being said... One of the points you keep underscoring is the power of this acceptance. And I think one of the research pieces that you shared was that LGBT youth who do have supportive families and communities are significantly more likely to have higher esteem and to suffer less with depression or even suicidal thinking. So the gift that of acceptance that you talk about in this book and that you and the journeys that you took, really seem to point into such a, a healthy direction. Um, one of the things that I think it's worth saying is this book, I think Dr. Shawnee said it, and Wesley, you wrote it, so wishing you had had a book like this. I actually think this is a book not only for parents, but for the children. Because it, when you hear the children speak, I think whatever age they are, you know, from very young to up to 40, Other young people would very much relate to that also. I want to thank each of you for coming on the show, and I think the book is a wonderful contribution for many families and many, many people. Thank you for having us. Oh, it's been my my pleasure. I want to thank my listeners. You can hear this and any prior show as a podcast on my website, my host site, or on the podcast app of your iPhone, iTunes, under Psych Up Live. Now, next week, we will have on Dr. Connie Siskowski. If you can believe it, we have 1.4 million children in this country who are caregivers of parents or of grandparents. Some of them are only nine years old, and they have the prime responsibility for these What we're going to be speaking and what Dr. Connie Siskowski will be sharing is a response to that well-hidden problem. She's going to be talking about the American Association of Caregiving Youth. Drop me a comment or question at RadioHostPhillips.com. And until next week, please take care, thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management.